welcome to the Disney Animated Cannonball. That's the podcast where I, Foxley, she, her, and I, Tony, he, him, watch all of the Disney Animated Canon in sequence. Why did we watch this episode, Talon? We watched 2013's Frozen. Oh, that's a good one, right? Everybody loves that movie. Well, yeah, like statistically, yeah. First thing we do is summarize the plot in 60 seconds. Ooh, is it my turn? It's my turn. It's your turn? Brilliant, I'm off the hook. Alright, well in that case, I'm the one who gets to say your time starts now! Elsa, the Ice Queen, accidentally hurts her baby sister Anna with her snow powers. Her parents, on the advice of literal rocks, wipe the memory of the snow powers from her sister's head. The ensuing repression of this memory results in these two sisters failing to have a relationship for 13 years and raising both daughters in isolation that is torturous, a thing that bad parents did entangled. Anyway, don't think about it. Elsa's powers go wild at her coronation when she flees into the woods where she can be herself and coincidentally dooms the entire world around her. She doesn't mean it, it's fine. Anna, can, Anna ventures to go to convince Elsa to stop killing everyone in this queer metaphor, and Elsa accidentally hurts her baby sister Anna with her snow powers. Ahem. Anyway, they need an act of true love to break the spell. Anna turns to a dude who sucks, and then Elsa mourns her sister, and this true love restores her. Everything is fine. Death to kings. I, I mean, I agree with death to kings. I'm just really surprised that you think Elsa mourning her is what brings her back, rather than the, the act of sacrifice. My thinking is that after she does the act of sacrifice, she gets turned to ice and is ice. And then Elsa does something and she becomes un-ice. So you can see how my sequence of events kind of puts agency on Elsa doing something. Rather than Anna curing herself from the thing that turns her into ice. After it's turned her to ice. Well, I mean, it wasn't completely done. Sure, it's magic bullshit. <laughs> it can make ice skates. It doesn't matter. I don't know. I feel like the way they go, oh, you sacrificed yourself for me. <gasps> An act of true love. I really thought that was meant to imply that it was it was Anna's action. It's, Maybe it is. It's wild to me that we came away with that much of a difference in perception. If your interpretation is correct, then Anna resurrects herself, which makes her Jesus. You're assuming she's dead. You're right. I admit, I did assume turning bodily into ice wasn't healthy i i admit that's that's my bad that's this assumption in a fairy tale where people can turn to ice and one assumes they are not yet dead until they are completely ice i would say that it's not outside like it's no weirder to be to to like oh you know there was like you know a bit of her is still there she's not gone yet we're just hovering on this moment because we want you to think she's dead for a minute. You should definitely like, rate, and subscribe with a comment (laughs) about which interpretation is the obviously correct one. (laughs) Right, and uh, while we're at it, does the spinning top fall over or not? What's your prior experience with this film, Fox? Uh, I saw this in a theatre, I seem to recall. Yeah. I remember this being a uni movies one. Um, I liked it. It's hard not to like it. Yeah. I didn't like love it the way that the the uh the the princess crowd went absolutely ape over this. I don't think I don't think it's fair to say that the princess crowd went ape <laughs> over this, but we'll get there. Well, we'll... I didn't want to say the little girl audience because that <laughs> unnecessarily genders this. It is definitely the kid audience. 
I didn't unequivocally love it the way that I did some of the Disney movies of my time. But it's good. I remember seeing it at uni movies with you. I remember being generally impressed. Uh, this is a rare example of a media enterprise where I have receipts that I have managed to hold on to. Huh? Yeah, I bought the soundtrack for this movie on iTunes about three oh. weeks after it came out at the uni movies. Wild. So I happen to have that. Um, I've been using the same email account since then. So, yeah. <laughs> this came out in the year I started university. So it's kind of like in the, you know, the current arc of our life. The other thing about it is when this movie hit, I was doing creative writing courses. And I remember the defining story that every one of those courses wanted to have written was Harry Potter. Ugh. So now... I imagine if I went back to those creative writing courses, the generation that, like, this was what hit them would be the thing. <laughs> hmm. I wonder. It's interesting to think about the fandom impact of a one-off movie versus a, a very long, uh, long-running serial. Maybe I'm just in that kind of mindset because I was rereading those fucking Archie Sonic the Hedgehog comics lately, but... Yeah, Frozen, Archie, Sonic the Hedgehog comics, equally culturally important. Like, we know that the whole frog boiling experiment thing is bullshit. Like, they leave out that the frogs are lobotomized in this scenario. But I do think the, the long-running serial effect has some grain of a, of a real version of that in it. Like, you, you're in the thing, and the thing can sometimes get really really bad before you notice that the water is quite warm yes but that's the thing it's not frogs it's people and i know i know but what i'm saying is a movie doesn't have the chance for that kind of slow boil to just like suck you in for years and years and form part of your landscape i think a lot of the people who are right now whining about the mcu as if they are literally being held at gunpoint and forced to engage with it <laughs> might disagree <laughs> But then again, those same people are the kind of people who expect me to be able to follow their fucking wrestling references, so I don't care. <laughs> mm, you've got something there. But also the MCU is worthy of note for turning that long-running serial thing into movie format, mm -hmm. sort of against all odds. Alright, anything for the double take? Right, we're talking about Disney movies. <laughs> yeah, we were. Y yeah, right, uh, there's nothing new here to me. I haven't watched this movie in a long enough time that I'd forgotten a large chunk of the middle. And for all that this movie has some unassailable points about it, it's extremely meh for two thirds. Oh, thank God. That's kind of how I'm feeling at this it's point as well. <laughs> like, I'm not going to hurt the movie's feelings, but a large portion of this movie is just boring filler. I do enjoy this and I do think it's a good movie. Yeah. But I find I didn't like it as much as Tangled. And, like, it's... Okay, it's high points are probably better. But there is... Yeah, there's a lot of strictly medium here for me. The songs that aren't unassailable bangers, like uh, Cut the Ice Apart and Let It Go, are very whatever. <laughs> the nature of any kind of media is going to be about a aggregation of multiple factors. We, for example, really enjoyed Fantasia on a musical level, even if there's no coherence of plot or narrative. And most of those sections, when viewed as their own stories, we went, that's a bit shit, isn't it? In this case, I think that this is one of the rare times when Disney have 
really good, enjoyable, relatable characters who that we can look at and go, like, I, you know, th- this is going to be very true. F- this is going to be a very resonant thing for anyone who's done fan fiction. But for a lot of people, they're like, what? Does anyone do that? But, like, these are characters <laughs> you can imagine having other kinds of dialogue and other kinds of relationships with one another or different ways the story could go or things you want to see them doing. They have meaningful character voice. They have engaging character ideas. And for the most part, a lot of their story is now open-ended with a potential for them to go places and do other things. You know, you're right. This is one of the only Disney movies we've watched where a series wouldn't be a half bad idea. Like, there's a lot you could do just with, you know, Spunky Princess and fucking X-Man Ice Queen. Yeah. And their token friend and his reindeer. The <laughs> Their token friend and Kristoff. <laughs> the thing is, the actual narrative that these characters go through is a perfectly serviceable set of gears that turn until they stop. <laughs> And I think that that defiance of the conventional formula is one of the most interesting things about this movie in particular. You know, it reminds me a little bit of when I tried to write movie scripts as a kid in the, like, okay, here's my thing. I've always been pretty good at the emotional moments. Like, that's what clicked with me. So it was very easy for me to write something like that that was, like, more or less on par with what you'd see in a movie even when I was pretty young. Like, it just worked, because that's the easy bit. Mm -hmm. But, like, the connecting tissue between that was just dog shit. Yeah. Because that's what's actually hard, to, like, bring your characters between these points. And Frozen is, like, mostly just the emotional highs, right? There is connective tissue, but they know that that that's not the point, and they just sort of try and get through it as quickly as possible. Maybe make some jokes. This movie is two hours and 12 minutes being deadlifted by the remaining three. It's more than two hours? Yeah. Wow. It doesn't feel that long. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah. Even though, like, there's a lot of sort of here and there and back again going on in the plot. Like, it feels like it should take a while, but it didn't feel like it did take all that long. This movie has about seven characters in three rooms. <laughs> it's honestly impressive. <laughs> it's true. It's it, You know what? It's funny that you could make a physical musical of it. Because you only need sort of three sets. <laughs> well, they did. <laughs> Bet they did. And of those three sets, you only really need to spend money on the one. And now, we move on to the Yikes Door slash product of its time. Eh? On conventional things that we would say, Yikes, everyone in this is the whitest of white thing, and you might go, oh, that's, that's historically true. accurate. No, no, it's not, but also, who cares? It's about a snow princess. Can't imagine there being dark-skinned Scandinavian people. Yeah. Takes a sip. Yeah. Long, long, slow sip. But what I would like to say here is instead that our time is a product of this movie. Ooh! Ooh! Oh, he's big-brained it! Shit! <laughs> this movie is culturally significant in ways that people are studying. Yeah, we haven't seen this since we talked about the language in Aladdin. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Elsa was the eighth most popular name for a child <laughs> in 2013. <laughs> Which was not on the list 
of the top 200 most popular yeah, names. I bet it wasn't. It was a very old lady name. In 2012. As was Anna. Like, it's there's nothing wrong with it, but it's very vintage and it was not in vogue. This movie restructured how Disney makes movies. This movie restructured how movies are distributed. This movie got Disney to commit to making a sequel as as their big cinematic release from that year. I don't believe they were going to make Ralph Breaks the Internet before Frozen happened and they were like, no, we need to make another movie. Yes. Frozen is so important, culturally speaking, that for everyone who's saying like, oh, the MCU, the this, that, the other, Frozen is the dry run. <laughs> Frozen is the movie which said, hey, if we can hit these quadrants in this way at this quality level consistently with these factors, we can make a billion dollars. It's also got a lot of shit that you're just like, I I can't believe they didn't happen on this sooner. Yeah. Like just the idea of doing the Snow Queen story because all the pretty sparkly glittery princess shit you get to do with that. It's like a fucking dream for toy designers. And you get to give the girls superpowers, which, let's be honest, a lot of, of kids and parents... I mean, our generation had kids who could see this, so this is like millennial parents at this point who were like, yeah, give the girls some fucking superpowers already. Yeah. They got you covered. Yeah, absolutely. The other big thing about this movie, like, culture shaping about it, is... Kids were learning all the songs. The joke is that every parent has heard Let It Go so much that they're sick of it. Every kid who can belt right now in a performing arts high school practiced <laughs> this song when they were a little kid. Oh, when I was in high school, the song that everyone wanted to do for their year 12 assessment was the the one from Anastasia, mm -hmm. uh, Once Upon a December. I. Uh, you flash forward to this generation, that's absolutely what it is. No way. This movie's soundtrack is the thing that is in part shaping the generation of artists who are performing in Disney movies now. Here's the thing, though. I believe that for Let It Go. I don't know if I believe that for much of the rest of the soundtrack. Well, like I said, it's a movie that's being carried by three of its minutes. The soundtrack is being carried by Let It Go... Though, I have unfortunately been in a position to watch Broadway nerds get into the Broadway nerd equivalent of a knife fight, which starts with lots of snapping and rhythmic toe-tapping, <laughs> about what the actual best song on the Frozen soundtrack is. Which, I'm sure, with their galaxy brains, they're having fun. It doesn't mean a goddamn thing to me. I don't buy it. Did you want to move on to the animation and making? Yes, because we're definitely not talking about Yikes door stuff here anymore. We're really not. I'm like, astonished how unyikesy this is. There, There is yikesiness in people's reaction, which I have saved for the critical re reception. That's not the movie's fault, though. But that's not the movie's fault. And don't get me wrong, we have some words, but... You know what? I'll award them a minor yikes for the, the fucking squishy face thing we have going on on our Disney princesses now, and it's mm -hmm. gonna be a look that endures, because Frozen was fucking huge! Uh technically a counter yikes in that this showed a pair of gay husbands like they were in different rooms it's true yeah but it, it in no uncertain terms did they say they were family yep all right so this movie was the final movie 
made with direct involvement of Walt Disney. No! No! Come on! You've said that like 12 times! We have hand-drawn sketches from Walt Disney of the Snow Queen that date back to 1940. I was going to say, I think we did talk about at one point where someone pitched the Snow Queen in, you know, Disney fucking antiquity and it just didn't get picked up at the time. It was going to be part of a um, compilation musical where all the stories were turned into short stories, Ah. which was also going to have The Little Mermaid. Probably a good business decision to not have crammed those into one of their, you know, 1940s compilation musicals. Well, I mean, they did Chicken Little once, they did Chicken Little again. There's nothing wrong with redoing something from the early Walt era. When did they do Chicken Little the first time? In 1941. It was war propaganda. Oh. God, I don't remember that at all. We talked about it on the podcast. It shows yes, we just did. We didn't how... watch it though, right? No. No, okay. But it does show just how eager you are to fucking forget everything about Chicken Little. It was real. And I'm not fond of the 40s compilation musicals neither, so (laughs) fuck them all. Would you like to hear some stuff about the voices? Would I like to hear some voices? I have very little about the voices here. Because, yeah, it's all a whole bunch of people who are boringly excellent. (laughs) This is uh, one of the noteworthy cases, because it didn't often happen with Disney, but here and there... It's one of those cases where they extremely, definitely, absolutely cast a main character based entirely on singing ability. Yep. I'm not saying Adina Mandel can't act. Absolutely, she can. But that's not why she got this part. I'm very amused that, like, if this movie hadn't happened, the song that everyone would have been belting would have been the previous big Adina Menzel song. Oh, this was not long after Wicked. Yeah, Defying Gravity from Wicked. Yep. Don't be wrong, I'm sure that there are people out there in those performing arts high schools who are like, I don't see why everyone's all about Let It Go. I mean, Defying Gravity is the better song. I liked it before <laughs> she went mainstream. That's a fair choice. I mean, telling me that there's another song in Frozen, which is the better song on the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> but telling me that Defying Gravity is better than Let It Go. Yeah, you know what? That's, that's, I, I, I don't necessarily agree. But I can't say I necessarily disagree either. Elsa's father is voiced by by Maurice LaMarche, who I know as the voice of Brain from Pinky and the Brain. Oh! Huh. Alright, wouldn't have picked that, but then again, he says four lines, so... The Duke of Wesselton is Alan Tudyk. Oh. Well, and... that's kind of a waste of your Alan Tudyk. And Josh Gad, the voice of Olaf. That's not a voice. That's how he talks, and his kids hate it (laughs) i uh, yeah i can see that yeah like if someone in my family genuinely talked like that all the time i think that would drive me a little bit crazy because he's so panto i couldn't handle a real life person being like that i understand he's in beauty and the beast live action remake but we'll never know will we i I, he's in what sorry (laughs) surely they wouldn't do that i heard something about live action but that's just dumb they wouldn't remake everybody's favorite disney animated movie just like it was nothing like it needed redoing (laughs) oh you're so silly the rest is just lists of names and it's all people who are just good at their jobs no Frank Welker Reindeer is here, I take it. Sadly, no. Uh, they don't seem to be hiring the Welks right now. <laughs> you might have moved on to every cartoon TV show ever. 
Yeah, it might be that he's like owned by WB or maybe Nickelodeon. I think that if you were going to get a Frank Welker Nickelodeon with their, we're making two dozen different things would get more mileage out of it. That's fair. I feel like he doesn't belong to a particular studio, but, uh, you know, I mean, a man can only do so much. Yeah. And Disney probably doesn't want to pay too much for goofy animal voices. I think that Disney, I think when it comes to voice actors who aren't pre-existing celebrity actors from other roles, Disney can buy and sell at whatever scale they want because voice acting is a very specific craft. But yeah, I don't know. But that's all I got for uh, animation and making. Yeah, um, I, you used the phrase uh, early on that we had entered an era of boring excellence. Yeah. And I, like, this is where Disney's 3D movies hit boring excellence. Yeah. Somehow I don't find this nearly as compelling to look at as Tangled. I think for Tangled they were still trying to, to pull out that painted look a little bit, and this doesn't seem to have that to me. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes where it looks really cool. Uh, the <laughs> the scene where they kill the parrots, um, the the uh, lighting behind the waves and the stylization of the water and everything looks pretty fucking spectacular. You can um, definitely map Tangled and this movie on like very big innovations in the technology department, in that if Tangled is the hair movie... The, <laughs> then this is the this attempt. Is the ice movie. Well, yeah, this is the attempt at ice. And the thing is, I actually think looking back on it, like you know, there's some ways that the ice in this movie is a little ropey, but <laughs> I think it looks great. I think it looks not quite cartoony enough by my standards, which is probably, you know, uh, I mean, I assume they're trying to make it look basically realistic, so they're not interested in me going, oh, it could have been prettier if it was less real. But a lot of the ice is just crystal. It's just, you know, that's 3D f- animated fractal crap. And that's not, that's not to say, like, you know, it's a problem, but it doesn't feel like ice to me. The ice blocks being pulled out of the water, yeah, that's, like, really good. That vague, that slight lensing and distortion you get that's also irregular enough that it's not just, oh, we see, control C, control V assets. Similarly, when Olaf makes a telescope out of an icicle, which obviously is just piss, but... <laughs> it's nonsense, but it's a cute bit, and I'm willing to go with it in a cartoon. It's really cute, and the lensing of it made me go, oh, of course, that makes sense, that's how ice would work, and obviously it doesn't. No. So, I think very highly of that particular moment, and I think that there are points where the ice is great, but for a lot of them, it's just, yeah, it's it's multicolored crystal lines okay that's nice mm, and the opposite problem yeah well i the the you know bricks of it and the the icicles and everything are when it's at its most realistic and that's when i find it at its most boring that's fair now the snow looks very pretty because the snow has that slight uh, uh brushed looking quality to it like it sets the whole magical kingdom landscape a bit when they wanted to the snow feels like it's four or five different techniques being used at once. Oh, it's super duper is, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, depending on what they need to have it do. Uh, I also, they, I mean, there's a very straightforward use of snow and ice to just do Elsa's emotions writ large at any point. So it's like it's surprising or anything, but I, it, it lacks subtlety as well because, you know, they're supposed to be maintaining that she's dangerously out of control most of the time. Um, the only time I found it really landed well was was when everything totally freezes, which is pretty fucking spectacular. 
and I I enjoyed that they had such an active sky uh, until everything just stopped. Well, you got to remember, she is one with the wind and sky. I heard that. As far as a grand thesis goes, I'm a little hesitant when it comes to Frozen because I feel that it has been think pieced to death. <laughs> that almost every different element of Frozen has already been dismantled and written about. And I've read a lot of that, so I don't want to be just, eh, well, you know, here's a perspective, and it's probably, like, me mashing together four or five different ones. So I did try and watch this movie and think, what's something I'm getting off this that I can't, like, attribute to having heard it before or heard it, you know, the first time I watched this movie? And for the most part, I just keep coming back to everyone knows this stuff. This movie is a cultural force that changed the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I were to do the rapid fire summary, I like the twist of love doesn't mean romantic love. It's a good idea for a Disney. I'm less impressed by the whole, you know, making fun of her, trying to marry someone you just met. That silly. Because, like, it's it's a real sort of eat-your-cake-and-have-it-too kind of thing. Like, they still intend for her to fall in love with someone she's only met for a few days. It's just the right guy instead of the wrong guy. It's not... They don't get to make fun of that yet. And smirking at it and, and being self-aware about it doesn't change their relationship with it in a meaningful way. It just makes them kind of obnoxious. I don't feel so bad about that myself, but I think that's because their complaint is one of scale, that the immediacy of the whirlwind romance, as opposed to the situation with Kristoff and Anna, which just just feels like the problem is not these two people fell in love and did a smooch. The problem is that they did it too quickly. And so just by turning the dial back, the, <laughs> like you didn't need it at all. You might notice in my summary, I didn't mention Hans or Kristoff at all. Because they are superfluous to the plot. The closest you get is that Hans is a useful way to deflect things. He is a misdirection. And I do like that they they pulled that punch in terms of saying that, oh no, Kristoff is clearly her true love. Like, there's still wiggle room there and I'm glad of that, don't get me wrong. But I don't think they get to smirk about their own formula, that's all. Especially because it feels kind of defensive. Uh, with all the shit they copped for the princess movies over the years. With the idea that this movie is a really good creative space, I will say it's good to have Kristoff there, if only as a boundary line of like, yeah, this is probably what a good dude looks like in this universe. Uh, I'm not saying he shouldn't be there. Yeah. I got no beef with Kristoff. Well, I do have beef with Kristoff, but I'm saving that for later. But broadly speaking, even though Hans and Kristoff could be removed and replaced with vending machines... <laughs> it is still nice in that creative play space to have a Kristoff around. I would have enjoyed... I honestly would have enjoyed Hans more if he hadn't turned evil. If he had sincerely believed that he was in love, like Anna, and just been wrong. Just been a dipshit? Yeah, just like, oh, oh no, we're not true lovers, are we? We're, we're just goofballs who met for one night. Oh no, Oh, this might get you killed. Oh, no. Then you have the contrast of one being an over-socialized um, people-pleaser and the other one being an, an under-socialized shut-in. 
And the irony is then that those two characters, when they're framed sympathetically, would in fact make a really good, very pure kind of, oh, I get the, I get the ways that we're messed up mesh kind of character. But again, that's not the story they're doing. It's fine. Having, having Hans be a bastard is fine. It would be fun if we find out later on that, I don't know, one of Hans's other brothers, who is a lot like Hans, is... But this is the thing. I'm writing fan fiction for this. I think they wrote that in a, a storybook somewhere, actually. Like, yeah. later on, they were like, oh, but what if one of his brothers liked Elsa or some crap? Yeah, that's not going to happen, buddy. But yeah, the the whole thing of uh, this is encouraging me to write fan fiction about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it uh, because they did not tie up everything neatly, there is space to explore, which mm-hmm. is nice for a change. Especially with the extremely definitive romances you get in Disney movies. And like, bless them for not trying to pair Elsa off at least. That's something. Um, uh, no, I'm kind of done with that, aren't I? Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, that about covers the things that, that I've heard people handle as think pieces. I like it. It's good. It's a much better version of this twist than when they did it in Maleficent, which sucks. Um... The views of Fox represent Fox alone. But they represent her hard. Yeah, I, I haven't watched Maleficent. I don't know. <laughs> Look, huh. it, the fact that a movie is on in the same room as me does not mean I am watching that movie. Well, Fox. you know what to do. Like, comment, and tell Talon to watch a movie that sucks. <laughs> Alright, setting that aside. If I have a grand thesis, it is that I do have some beef with Kristoff. <laughs> do you have anything you want to say before I get this off my chest? No, go for it. Alright, well, if this movie has been think piece to death, here I am with a fresh perspective and complaint that nobody else gives a fuck about, which is Kristoff should be hotter. Yeah. Here's my thing. Kristoff is about 70% of a spectacular himbo, but the missing 30% is like equally shaved off the top of all those aspects if he was just... In the, in, in, in the interest of explaining himbography clearly, <laughs> can you okay. provide your model... Okay. Of himbo- uh, uh, sorry, can you provide your academic model for the criteria <laughs> of a himbo? Alright, as far as I'm concerned, a himbo is best illustrated with a Venn diagram of beefy, hot, and dumb. So, it's not enough to be hot and scrawny, or beefy and sexy, and also smart. You gotta be dumb, hot, beefy. Wait, also nice. Right, okay. I was going to wonder about that. Yeah, right. Four-way Venn diagram. Dumb, hot, nice, beefy. Or I guess we could could slim that down to hunk, which covers hot and beefy. Yeah. Okay, so hunk, dumb, sweet. And Kristoff is so close. (laughs) He has a lot of qualities that would be very endearing if he was a bit nicer, a bit hotter, and I find myself just wishing he was kind of bizarrely physically capable like just exaggerated a bit to the point where people were like the fuck is your deal in the sequence where he's running down hill and then he jumps on board uh sven and and keeps going imagine then a later scene where they are both running down hill and sven jumps onto Kristoff's shoulder <laughs> and he just runs along carrying the reindeer on his shoulder for a few bits okay. like that kind of you know that's the that's this parameter you're talking about here you're not like you know this guy shouldn't be able to move the ships on his own no, no, like, I, I don't want him to be Superman or nothing. Um, but, like, though he's sort of got that whole raised by wall things going on, but 
He's not, like, feral enough to be really interesting, uh, despite that. He's just kind of a prickly jerk. I have written an extensive article on my model of himbology, which is, I will note, different to yours, because I find that there are things in your model that I find less satisfying. But it's mostly about how you define dumb. And in this case, the fact that Kristoff is clueless about normal society would be a good way for him to be a himbo. Just imagine him standing in the forecourt of the court, you know, tapping away at something on the wall because he doesn't get what it's for. And then it opens up in front of him. It's a window and he has this moment of like, oh! Yeah, like, that's what I, that's what I mean when I say he's not feral enough exactly. to be interesting. Exactly. Because he was an orphan raised in the woods by trolls. In the fucking, I- he goes ice cutting himself as a child. Yeah. I, ah, oh, I wish they'd made something of it. And to go along with that, it would have been very, very funny to me if he was also just bizarrely hot. It would be really nice if Kristoff was better. In the context of this movie... I'm very okay with the path that gets sacrificed being Kristoff, <laughs> but I want you to know I support you. I know, yeah, look, I don't I don't hate him or anything. He's not wrong or bad or like this movie sucks because Kristoff sucks. It's just like I see such potential in him to have been just a giggly funny character. Yeah. Um and he's mostly just he's kind so of close there. though. Yeah. He's dumb, but he's not really dumb. And he's hunky, but he's not really hunky, and he's like a cool adventure guy, but he's not like entertainingly, not like comically cool adventure guy. He's not an all-purpose adventure ponce. <laughs> I don't want a ponce. But the other thing is, the sweetness he has is mostly reflected with Sven, where he yeah. creates the better persona of himself to voice through Sven, and then lets that persona bully him. <laughs> into doing the things he wants to do, which is an interesting callback to the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves of men bully men into doing things men would do if men weren't bullying men to do them. But, the, you know, that's not that's not intentional. That's just a funny quirk in this case that just happens to accidentally repeat a theme I've brought up. But the fact that he voices a conscience voice for his reindeer, that should be adorable. It's just, ah, Christoph would land so perfectly if he were just a little more all of his things. Yeah. And a little less mean. Just a little bit less mean. Because then it would shine less of a spotlight on how frustratingly incompetent Anna can be. Like, she's not too bad, but, like, there are some really stupid moments where you're just like, ah, come on, man. I think that Anna and Elsa, if if this movie has a weakness to me, it's that Anna and Elsa are not adequately represented as being as traumatized as they are by the thing the text says happens. No, and this is part of why I have a big problem with the face design on these two princesses, because I don't think they get a full range of emotions. I don't think Elsa dramatically hangs off the statue and sort of cries quietly at the end. I think she ugly cry balls over that shit. The entire arc of Anna's life reflects people I've known, and for her to be as together as she is, is mm-hmm. is shocking and yeah. you might think oh but she's awkward no no she is she would have been the coolest person in the friend groups i knew because look she's talk she's going up to her sister and talking to her in public holy crap yeah she's like a tiny bit awkward she's 
She's, not we want our audience to relate to her because she's not perfect awkward. She's no more awkward than your fucking Disney Channel live action main character. Yeah, who not... has an embarrassing secret in her fucking diary. She's not, I lost my parents and I think my sister hates me traumatized. She's not 13 years isolated from everybody. No, she should be like new DuckTales webby level of weird. Yeah, and the fact that they make a point that like no one's giving her stuff to do, her parents aren't filling her life with hobbies, but the maids aren't teaching her stuff. She could have come out of this as a freaking courtroom ninja. Just like, you know, hyper hyper processing all sorts of information. And but no, she comes out of it as a mildly no- normal and relatable 18-year-old dork with quote unquote no friends, because that's who she's meant to be relatable mm. to. And that's why they didn't make her a gibbering a social wreck the way that I would have liked to feel <laughs> represented better. But like, you know, her main I mean. negative trait seems to be clumsiness. Yeah. Which doesn't relate to interacting with other people at all. No. Like, that's of all things, that's not the thing that would be malnourished in this scenario. Like, she would have had hours upon hours upon hours upon hours to practice anything that was, like, physical or coordination-based. Or, you know, she had a bike that she could ride around the castle. I feel like she would at least have spent many hours doing that. Our first scene with her, she's doing parkour. Yeah. And then she struggles to climb a mountain that I could, like... I could have gotten higher than her on that fucking mountain. And I am not a grand physical specimen. There is an element which I jabbed at in my summary, which is the way that this movie is treated as a queer metaphor. And that, look, I'm not saying this to diminish anyone's love of Let It Go. I am not saying that there is not a way that you can take the elements of this story and use them for a queer story. That's fine. My problem is when often well-meaning interlocutors who don't necessarily have a handle on the situation reference it as metaphor, the idea that is being perhaps mishandled and which doesn't follow through in this movie, you can definitely take it out of the movie as a metaphor, but inside the text of this movie, the thing about Elsa that is being repressed and is being kept under control and then bursts free when she embraces herself is killing everyone. And... I don't, I don't want to give anyone who's using this as a secret over their family as some kind of weight, but, um, that's not how queerness works. Yeah, this is, well, this is like the X-Men and and being a civil rights metaphor, right? You can't compare having superpowers that can kill people to being black. Mm -hmm. You can't compare having superpowers that can kill people to being gay. Well, you can, but you... There's some weird translation going on there that you maybe don't want to lean on too heavily. Which isn't to say that this movie doesn't in moments come across that way as being about that, but... Eh. I kind of also wish they hadn't justified it by having her hurt Anna in the first place. Like, yeah, There's no need for that. It doesn't really need to happen. They could just be shitty parents. Because they are shitty parents. Like, I'm sorry to speak ill of your dead imaginary parents, Anna and Elsa, but they were bad at this. Yeah. And they screwed you both. Do you know how? We know that they were terrible parents. Uh, Because they died and never had to answer for it. Because Anna, who doesn't have superpowers and doesn't need to be contained and doesn't have any of those things, was left completely alone for 13 years. Yes, Yes, there's that. I mean, the way they set it up, Elsa has to stay in her room the whole time anyway to avoid Anna finding out. So they could have had the rest of the castle going on as normal and Anna could have had a normal life. And that sucks for Elsa, don't get me wrong. But like... There's no reason they couldn't have made it 
as bearable as possible. And also that would have meant that Elsa didn't feel as bad about not being there for Anna anymore. Anna was gothled. You know what? There's a good example of someone who found shit to do with herself when she was isolated for her entire life. Like, where is Anna's fucking castle ceiling covered in paintings and giant library of books that she learned weird shit from? Ah, uh, it's irritating. She's, they, it's like they didn't think about what a person who was so extroverted and, and so joyful would even try to do with herself in all that time. Which brings us to a uh, repeat of the idea from Tangled, which is this movie is better if you cut out the prologue. It's <laughs> <laughs> really true. I guess we need to know why Kristoff knows that trolls can fix that shit. No, we don't. No. He knows the trolls. Why would he not know that they can fix this shit? He introduces the trolls to the story when they show up. And by the way, the trolls all suck. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Fixer upper and the whole idea can just fuck off. Stop trying to push people into romantic relationships. Get out of town, you dumb trolls. That, I wouldn't call them yikesy because, like, it's not uh, a, a thing with the background material of, you know, how could you imagine saying it? I was like, no, this is a very normally accepted, socially conventionally normal thing to do, and it's shitty and it sucks. It's, like, deeply disrespectful towards aromantic people. Yeah, and also deeply disrespectful to even the alimantic people who are in the scene, who may be into being romantic, but also, hi, we met today, and my parents are now trying to stick us in a wedding pit. It's true, yes. Also, I'm dying. Hi. Yeah. And, you know, why didn't you tell us that? We fucking did. I really feel like they just sort of wanted to do a number with the trolls because they were there, and like, yeah. no, stop it, now is not the time. You can't have Anna dying and also overbearing parents want you to get married now. Bonus, they did the opening of the song as, oh, you know, sure, he's a bit shit, but he's a bit of a fixer-upper. And then midway in the bridge, they're like, it's not like getting into a relationship fixes you. Like, make up your fucking mind. It is, yeah, look, if there's any redeeming value in the song, it's that they give that speech to Anna in the middle of it as as like an indication of of, you know, Hey, if you want to break the curse, here's how it would actually work, rather than the thing you're going to go away with. But, you know, that just kind of puts them in the same boat as Mama Odie. And we got really mad at her. Yeah, Mama Odie sucks too. <clears throat> anyway, I feel like if you just fucking told them how it worked, they would have actually been okay with that and respected what you said. I don't think they were. People who needed to learn the lesson the long way around. Shall we move on now? To Whateverland! Yeah, okay. Whateverland is a great place to bring up that bit where Anna tries to get Elsa to come back, like talk her down from all this, and they go into a fucking recitative or recitative. I don't know how many tits there are in that word. <laughs> they start doing the talk singing thing, and I fucking hate that. Ah, <laughs> you don't normally get that in Disney, but they did it here, and it's like, ah, no, stop, stop it, stop it. No. <laughs> the, the views of Fox reflect the views of Fox. Yes! I think we all know this by now. I am 100% composed of Fox opinions. The Royal Orb. <laughs> I just wanted to point out this This is one of those many monarchies where they have, you know, a royal orb. It's a good orb. Yeah, it's also a Catholic thing. True, yeah. There's some very Catholic trappings with the choir and everything as well. Yeah. I don't know how appropriate that is. Like, I know that's not where uh, Finnish religion came from at first, but... You know, the Catholics stuck their things in everything, so... They're also not Finnish. 
they're just in the area. No, they're, they're Finesque. I called them Scandinavian earlier, which is my way of saying, like, somewhere in that general region, a mishmash of styles and concepts thereof. Please do not try to tell me which Disney movies take place in the real world or not. Ding, 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 ding. <gasps> Sven is a dog. Oh, animals are dogs. But <laughs> the wolves, definitely not dogs. Oh, God, no, wolves are nothing like dogs. <laughs> Reindeer, on the other hand. Reindeer are totally dogs. Yeah, this is another. This is just like Maximus. They were not even. They're not even trying. It's, it's not an unintentional bias at this point. They just made another weird horse dog in this one's reindeer. I don't hate Olaf as much as I should or want to. Olaf actually has a point where he gets to be too much for me. Yeah, and it's it's like literally the little laugh he gives after Elsa brings him back to life. Like, <laughs> like they very carefully paced out Olaf throughout this whole movie, so it isn't until, like, that point when the movie's, like, two minutes left that I'm like, oh, man, fuck off, Snowman. Yeah, I have to say, like, the trailers gave me the impression that I would be done with Olaf three seconds into his appearance, and the fact that I get genuine laughs out of him is so much less tedious than I was expecting. I, Well done, I guess. I still don't like him. I feel like I get a lot of mileage out of the sentiment, if not the actual gif, of I'm gonna tell him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, moments like that make it pretty good. And also the, like, the violence they enact on him, which isn't actually violence and doesn't hurt him. So it's not like some of the other Disneys you've watched, where it's like, wow, they're, they're really getting mileage out of hurting this one character. I don't think it's as funny as they think it is. Yeah. But Olaf's not getting hurt, but it's still funny that he's being impaled. So it's sort of the best of both worlds, and it makes me dislike him less. You know what else isn't as funny as they think it is? <laughs> Capitalism! Okay. I was going to do a funny answer, but I froze. I yeah. panicked. Yeah. Ah! I saw it in your eyes. I lost the moment. I let it go. So do you reckon the budget for this was above or below Wreck-It Ralph? <laughs> uh, above. No. What? This cost less than Racket Ralph. This movie was made on the same budget as Bolt. A hundred and fifty wow. million. That's that's pretty low for this era. God, no wonder they just immediately said, No, drop the second one right now! Get in that room and don't come out until you have another double princess movie. And uh uh I don't think that this is an I don't think this is an interesting one to ask you, but um <laughs> do you think it made more or less than Wreck It Ralph? Did this movie make a squidillion dollars? <laughs> Do they even have a total for this movie yet? I bet people still buy this on DVD now and then. That's not counted. This is box office sales only. <gasps> oh, Christ. It made more than a billion dollars in the box office only. Your, Fuck me. Your margin of error on a billion dollars <gasps> is 280 million. <laughs> and by that, you don't mean I was uh, I was high by 280 million. <laughs> You mean this thing made $1.3 billion? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, we knew it was big! This movie made three Wreck-It Ralphs worth of money. <laughs> this movie is at least three times as good as Wreck-It Ralph, and I don't even like it that much. This movie made Lion King plus Little Mermaid money. <laughs> Do soundtrack sales get that? <laughs> oh my god, that song was ubiquitous.
the thing I love about this the most is that as someone who goes near schools and educational uh, places and have been to daycare centers in the past nine years, it is amazing just how much Frozen is bootlegged everywhere. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, the daycare's bootleg whatever's the most popular thing and Frozen is the most popular thing for like 10 straight fucking years. My sister's best friend had her daughter, uh, I want to say like seven or eight years before this movie hit and it uh, this child just changed shape <laughs> yeah suddenly uh, suddenly the kid is an elsa kid uh-huh critical reception is like well what the fuck do you expect i mean <laughs> come on it made 1.28 billion dollars yeah, and people credit it with being the return to Disney musicals, even though obviously Tangled already had that in hand. Yeah. Um, there are some minor notes in the critical reception, which is mostly like, what wackaloons can we stick a microphone in front of? <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to find somebody to say something controversial about Frozen quickly. The three things that I want to bring to mind there are, one, one of the CG artists at one point said that it's very difficult to do this kind of animation because girls' faces need to stay pretty. A thing that was largely taken out of context, but still reflects a problem. I think it also, like, I'm sure it wasn't a case of someone wrote in big letters on a whiteboard, they can't be ugly at any point. But there's, I think it's very clear to me that there is a grain of truth in that, because like I said before, I don't think these faces have a full range of emotions. I think they are designed to be pretty before they are designed to be sincere. And I think that's a problem. Second? The obligatory Christian godbother of dickheads said that this movie was covertly promoting homosexuality, <laughs> which I think is their way of saying that their daughter wants to kiss Elsa. See, this is why Disney should just do straight up gay shit, because the kind of people who don't want them to do gay shit will not accept there's no actual gay shit in here as an answer. Yep. They will decide it's there and they will whinge and bitch about it anyway, so just make some girls kiss. And third, and I know I've written about this and shared this before, there was an article titled Brozen. The bros who like Frozen. Ah, yes. The natural <laughs> succession of brolonialism from My Little Pony into Disney. In fact, I think that that article is what led to me coining the term brolonialism. It's... It's a sad fucking internet culture when boys need a special name to like girl things. Yep. So, you know, they're different from those basic girl fans. They like it in a special way that's for boys. Now you'll appreciate it at all the levels I do. <laughs> the colors, the colors, children. I would also like to never hear again from people shipping the two sisters in this movie as a romantic couple. Just please don't. Hey, Fox, what's next? What? Oh, fuck, he caught me by surprise. What is next? What? What is next? What came after Frozen? It's a tough act to follow. Whatever it is, it's going to have vanished beneath the waves and had no, like, impression on what Disney would do going forward. It's Big Hero 6, isn't it? It's Big Hero 6. <laughs> ah! It deserved better than to try and follow Frozen. I think we're going to have a fun time. <laughs> well, I like that movie, so at least we can say that. 